Hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and I will be the cruise director for this episode today. We are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery and to the podcast. This is a show about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. This show is for anyone interested in recovery, anyone considering recovery, or anybody trudging the road of happy destiny as we speak today. Consider, so to speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember that we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope. With those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, leave the rest at the curb. This episode Episode number 27, hard to believe we are up to number 27, is brought to you by Don S. and Amy. Uh, Don S. and Amy went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and made a, made a contribution. Thank you so much, Don S. and Amy, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. Uh, this butt is for you. Nonetheless, we're going to have Jenny here in just a moment coming into the uh, studios. I'm looking forward to having Jenny. Uh, you will enjoy the ride, I'm sure, as well. So sit back and enjoy. So we are sitting here with Miss Jenny Jenny. So you, in fact, uh, say hello, Jenny. Hello. Glad you're here. Welcome to the Sober Speak. Yeah, I guess we call these studios, right? It's a guest bedroom in my house. <laughs> Um, but uh, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, there are many times where I hear your name, Jenny, where I think of that. This is going to be a history lesson for the people who are not old enough for this, but there was a song years ago, right? How did it go, oh, Jenny, yeah. Jenny? I got your number. Yeah, yeah 8675309. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I heard the people all over the nation when that song was released that had the number. You know, at that time, you didn't have to have the prefix, you know, the 214 or whatever before you. And there were just seven-digit telephone numbers, and you dialed them from your area, wherever you were. And and, uh, uh, people who had that number had to abruptly change their number because they were getting numbers all times of the night. But nonetheless, so we're, but so, so anyway, so Jenny, why don't you go ahead and identify yourself uh, and uh, let people know when your sobriety date is. Okay, I'm, I'm Jenny K. Jenny K. And I'm an alcoholic. You are. Yes, I That's am. That's what I heard. Um, and my sobriety date is October 12th, 2008. 2000, you know, I remember. So Jenny and I go to the same group. Uh, the Frisco Group of Alcoholics Anonymous here in uh, Frisco, Texas. For those of you listening uh, uh, in other countries or whatnot, that would be it's a uh, northern suburb of uh, Dallas, and uh, we go. And I, I remember you coming in, Jenny, and uh, <laughs> I know you have come a long way. It's a compliment. It's a compliment. But I called you. In fact, I, I kind of had a working title for this uh, uh, podcast. Uh, and the title is uh, Angry Atheist. And I've talked to you about this before. Yes, you have. Because when you came in, uh, in my uh, perception, uh, y- you were an angry atheist. So what are, just to start us off, why don't you talk about both of those things? Number one, I've heard you talk about anger and then your uh, a- atheism, too. I'm, I'm curious about that piece. Well, um, wow. Hmm. I don't know where to start with all of that. I think I'll start with being angry. Yeah. Because that was more of the driving factor in my life. Yeah. Um, and when you say driving factor, what, like that is how I got that. into the program. Really? I got into AA because everybody around me just couldn't understand why someone who had such a great life, yeah. you know, to them looking at it from the outside. From the outside looking in. Why this suburban housewife who appeared to have everything. Why was she so angry all the time? And um, Could you explain it yourself at the no, time? No, I, I just felt like I was righteous. You know, I was a rebel rouser. I, <laughs> I thought that, you know, that I could see 
reality for what it was. And so I don't know. I, I didn't see myself as an angry person. So when you said, let me, let me try to understand that. So when you say you could see, so you had your perception of things and your perception was the Jenny view of things. Exactly. And you couldn't figure out why everybody else could not see it in the same way. And in and, and AA speak today, we might call that the delusion. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know. So, so did your anger, so talk about your anger a little bit, because so, a lot of people can relate to that, right? I, you know, go I've ahead. done a lot of work on this using, you know, the steps of the program. Uh-huh. And um, I grew up in a household where I had a mom who cried all the time. Uh-huh. And a father who was very disdainful about behavior. And um, being sad. She cried all the time. Yeah, so like, she cried a lot. When do you, like, you know, like women do. Right. You know, no. she cried. Now, see, if I would have said that, I'd be kicked off the podcast well, I, here. I mean, I think women are more emotional. I understand. I understand. So and she cried, but was it because she was depressed or do you know, or just, uh, just crying a lot? Well, I think that it stood out because every time she did it, my father couldn't handle it. Gotcha. And I, I come from a family of girls. It's just myself and I have a younger sister. Yeah. And so every time that happened, um, my dad would get mad. And... It was very, very much known in my house that that wasn't an acceptable feeling, that that was a weak feeling. And um, I kind of grew up with the idea that anger was an acceptable emotion. Okay. That was the, the one that was okay to, to show in my house. Mm-hmm. Anger is powerful and um, it's okay if you're mad. Yeah. You're not weak if you're angry. Right. So what can you... And... and uh, and I have a general idea of this, but when you say anger and power kind of go together, can you describe that feeling and what it does for you inside uh, when when you're experiencing that anger? Are you able to verbalize that? Well, I feel like a rush of endorphins, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I feel empowered. And um, if I'm feeling scared mm-hmm. or weak or less than... Um, it kind of gets rid of all of that. Yeah. All of a sudden, I, I'm the one in control. Yeah. I'm the one in charge, and you can't do anything to me. Right. Right. Okay. So it takes you, the, like you said, from a position of, uh, I don't know if you call it submissiveness, but, but like, yes. for, from someplace that is weak, weak and vulnerable up to being powerful. Yes. And on the face of it, who wouldn't want to be powerful versus being weak and vulnerable? Right. right. You're not going to get anywhere in life being weak and vulnerable. That's right. Okay. So, and and I think I've heard you talk about what, what like, so wasn't there like a, a, a counselor or something you were seeing that uh, it kind of uh, 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 scooted you toward the, the doors of AA? Yeah, I... I came into the program through anger management therapy. Which, <laughs> okay, so you were Which in is it. really, really hilarious when I look back <laughs> on it now. You know, it turns out when you blink it, drink yourself into a blackout, you know, um, I was really, really angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so I went to a therapist, and she's really the one who got me into AA. She... Um, was the first person that I was really honest with about my drinking. Gotcha. She's like, well, what about your drinking? I'm like, well, I kind of drink a little bit. Yeah. And she's like, well, how much? And I'm like, uh, and you know, like we all do, I really watered down how much I was drinking. I'm like, oh, a couple drinks every night. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. And she's like, wow, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> and, um, so she sent me a challenge, and she sent me the challenge to not drink before my next session. Ah, and how long? Like, how long at this point had you been seeing her? Just once. Oh, okay, got gotcha. you. Just one time. This gotcha. is the first time, and she cottoned on right away that that there was something hmm, hmm. interesting. Her gut instinct told her that maybe that couple of drinks a night was probably not right on the mark. Right, and so. I said, okay, I can do that. And how long would it be before you get back? Like Another a week? week. Yeah. But she didn't ask me to quit drinking. She just said the night before, don't drink the night before. And I thought, meh, okay. Well, the first time, you know, I don't know, my son got in trouble at school, so I had to drink that night. <laughs> and so I came back and she's like, 
well, did you drink? I'm like, yes, but you know, I had a reason. Right. (laughs) And then she said, okay, next time. Well, next time came around and I had another good reason. And then the third time came around and then I didn't even have a reason at that point. (laughs) And she goes, you know, I think you might be an alcoholic. Oh, and what was your thought when you heard? Yeah. First of all, how long had it, how long had you had? Were you a daily drinker at that point? I was a everyday blackout drinker. And for how long was that? For going? five years. Wow. And so that would do. It. And so for her to say, "Can you not drink for a night or a week or whatever?" It was an impossible task. And she probably had an inkling that that would be impossible for you. So you go back to her. You say, "I have these excuses." I'm not able to stay sober because of these reasons. And she says, what? I think you're an alcoholic. I think you should go check out a, a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. What was your reaction? Um, I said, okay. You know, I had probably known I was an alcoholic at that point for many, many years, but just didn't care. And so how did you find AA? Uh, on the internet. Really? <laughs> the modern way. Yeah. I found the Frisco group on the internet. Had you ever considered going before that time? I had, and I'd actually gone and looked at the Frisco website before, but the word God turned me away. Here we get to the atheist yeah. part, right? Yeah. So, and what did you, uh, what did you see on the internet that referenced God? Were you looking at the steps? Yeah, Were the you, okay. steps, the, you know, all of it says the G word. Right. <laughs> and so what was your thought about that when you heard it? Um, I think that at that point, I was in so much trouble at home. And uh, I hated myself. And, you know, the big book talks about the jumping off point mm-hmm. where we can't live with alcohol any longer, but we absolutely can't picture our lives without it. And then we will know true loneliness. Right. That's where I was. Right. So, so you find AA on the internet, the Frisco group in particular, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, right? And so walk me through, most people have some sort of experience kind of going to their first meeting. Well, because I was into, you know, I, I tried a lot of different ways to get sober that were really weird. And so well, I like went, what? Uh, well, I, you know, <laughs> I bought this hypnotic tape set called Mom's Little Helper. <laughs> Mom's Little Helper? Yes, it Mom's was, Little Helper. It was, was this... CDs, and it came in a brown paper box. And, <laughs> you know, you bought it, and it didn't say where, you know, on your on your credit card. It didn't say anything. So I would lay down in bed at night, like at 4, because yeah. I like to start drinking at, like, 5. That got earlier and earlier, but at, like, 4. And I would listen to this CD. Yeah. You know, you, so people knew you, you weren't were... going to drink. You're not going to drink. I would listen to it on like my Walkman or yeah, something. Right. And then I would get up and go and drink two bottles of wine after <laughs> listening to Mom's Little Helper. <laughs> Where did you find the CD? Do you remember? I, on the internet? On the internet. <laughs> you know, one of those anti-AA sites. Right. <laughs> so I had picked a therapist that was kind of wacky and out there. Yeah. So she was a lot. How'd you find the therapist? Oh, on the internet. Internet? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on yeah, on the it's, internet. It's easy to Google when you're hungover, which I was a great deal of the time. So um, I found this woman and she was into light therapy, right? Color therapy, light therapy. It was going to alter your brain waves and yeah. fix you yeah. that way. Yeah. So. So that was another. So, okay, well, let me go back to Mom's little helper real okay. quick because I, I am curious about this. So, it, how many how many times did you try? Did you remember if you tried it like three? 20 I t- think three, three times. times. <laughs> three times. I think I got a case of the effort. You know, effort. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Mom's little helper, oh. and it was specifically geared toward yeah, Mom's alcoholism. little secret, Mom's little helper. <laughs> right. Yes. So people knew you were receiving at your house either Mom's little helper or porn. One yeah. Of the two. yeah. Who knows what Mom's Little Helper really looked like? Golly. <laughs> okay, so so Mom's Little Helper didn't work. Then you went, move on and you find this light therapy? Like this esoteric, yeah. wacky. Yeah, yeah. So how did light... Th- did you go in? Oh, yeah. This is the woman who I was... Oh, it was the same per- person. Yes, okay, this gotcha. is the same woman. And 
you know, she's asking me these questions and showing me colors. <laughs> okay, so she knew you were coming in there for... Just, so was it was it, just anger management Okay, therapy. this was anger management, not specifically your... And then after talking to me a while, she realizes there's more at work here. Okay. And so she tells me I need to go to AA, and I said, I just don't know if I can do that. So she hypnotized me Ooh, with dear. this freaky helmet. <laughs> what? A helmet? <laughs> she put this big helmet on. And this helmet had little little um, windows in it. It was like an Iron Maiden kind of helmet. You put it on, had these little windows. So, I'm surprised you know who Iron Maiden is. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> you open these little windows and light would come in at different angles. Okay. And so she's like, okay, we're going to put, put the helmet on you. We're going to hypnotize you into going Was it dark the in the end. room? No, but this is like a big the hood. Helmet, right. Oh, like a hood. It's like a hood. It blocks all the light. Oh, out. wow. Yeah. Okay. And, you have um, to trust somebody to let them put a yeah, big hood over yeah, your uh, Well, you know how we're pretty desperate at this point <laughs> to do anything except quit drinking. <laughs> and so... I had this interesting experience while uh, I was having this done. And since I was not religious and very much opposite at the time, I, she's like, okay, so we're going to talk about the light and what it brings out in you, what, what subconsciously this happens. And so, so she had it, and she opened up one of these things, and she says, how do you feel? I said, well, I feel one like of the, When you say one of the things, you're talking about one of the, the little one of the windows? Shutters, yeah. One of the shutters in the helmet? Yes. Okay. So she's looking at, can you see her like with one eye kind of? No, I can't see her at all. She's like this disembodied voice. Oh, okay. So, so the, the reason for opening the little shutter is to let a portion of the light in. Okay. I got you. Sorry. I was vague. No. Um, I thought that meant she was going to talk to you as she was opening it up. So like you had this experience. Now she's going to talk to you through the window, but this is to let the light in. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. This is to let the light in supposedly, you know, to access the brain. (laughs) And so she opens this thing and she goes, well, the window. And she says, what, what are you thinking? You know, what are you experiencing? I said, well, I feel like I'm in a church looking up. Oh, yeah, like a stained glass window. And yes, some of them were colored. Yeah. And um, I'm looking up like I'm standing in a, a round part of a church and I'm at the bottom and the windows are at the top and the light is shining down on me. And she goes, okay, I want you to use that image. I want you to remember that image. And that image is going to help you go into the AA meeting. And it did. Ah. I did manage to really? go. Really? Yeah. So that experience was kind of the the launching pad or the shoehorn, if you will, to get you up through the doors. And so you, so in back to your first meeting here, so you were using that image as you were coming through the doors, right? Yes. Wow. That is very cool, actually. <laughs> I like that. So that got you into the meeting. Yeah. Okay, got so me into the meeting. Okay, so oh, because I'm assuming you had said during during your time with her, they, I, I'm, that must have been a focus. Like I'm scared. I don't want to go into. The I don't meeting. want to go. I don't. I don't think I can do that. And when you say I don't think I do do it, was it because of your preconceived conceptions, or was it just fear of going in? I didn't want to quit drinking. Either. Gotcha. Well, yeah. That A is not the place to be if you don't want to quit yeah, drinking, right? That's the worst thing that can happen to someone <laughs> like me. Be <laughs> sentenced to AA. Okay, so all right, so I'm with you. So so you you're you're going up to the meeting. Do you remember the parking lot? Do you remember anything going up there? I do because, you know, as you know, we're the trailer people yes. at, at our church. <laughs> yes, we are. And we, you know, we have a and massive those, church. So explain to people what you mean by that for those who, who we, are not here, who are listening the to The church that we uh, is generous enough to host our AA group, we uh, have to go to a trailer, which is fine. I like right. it because it's kind of our trailer, but it's a trailer, it's and kind of like it a belongs portable, to a very large church. Right, right. Very big, prominent, yes, large. It's a portable trailer. I'd, I'd call it like a mega church or something like and that. And I really had, just because I'd had this kind of spiritual experience with this woman, really? doesn't mean I'd quit drinking. Yeah. And so I, of course, was a good alcoholic, and I picked a newcomer meeting. 
because I thought you had to go to a newcomer meeting. Right, right. I didn't know you could just walk into any meeting because I don't know anyone in AA. Okay, so from the time you have the appointment with this lady and you have the light experience and you're going into your first AA meeting, how many, is that days I, or weeks? Like about four days. Four days, okay. And of course, I was a good alcoholic and I wasn't going to give up that alcohol until <laughs> D-Day, you know. <laughs> D-Day. Monday. Drunk that was day. it. It was yeah. all over. <laughs> so you knew there was a there was a, a newcomers meeting. Yes. Was, a, was it a night meeting? It was a, a night meeting because at the time our group only had night meetings. Oh. 7.30. Really? That's it. We didn't have any other times. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And so I pull up to the church and I go right into the church, into the administration building. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so humiliating. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like the lady at the receptionist desk. I'm like, come here. She's like, where's AA? <laughs> Completely mortified. Because right. I know that I'm the only alcoholic in Frisco, Texas. Correct. I know it. So she tells me where it is. And so I walk all the way across the campus, <laughs> and here's this dark trailer, and of course I'm late, because of course I'm late. Right. I don't want to be there. And it was so strange, because I was standing on the door, and I hear laughter. Uh. And I'm like, this can't be right. <laughs> and I walked in, and there must have been 80 people. The trailer was so full, and people were laughing. Yeah. And it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I could not believe I was in the right place. Because mm-hmm. laughter and sobriety didn't go hand right. in hand to me. Right. That had never been my experience. Right. So you walk in, and uh, how did they figure? Did they figure out somehow that you're a newcomer? Yeah, I mean, it was obvious because I was crying. You, know? <laughs> you were crying. You know, the typical, oh, yeah, there's a newbie. It's a newcomer meeting. There's someone we've never seen before, and she's just snotting it up. You know? Oh, God. It's the end of my life. Do you remember, like, whether or not it was. Uh, you know what your feelings were about it did you think i have found home i was really overwhelmed okay and brain you know i was in a fog i didn't realize how much my mental functions were impaired until i sobered up yeah and i just remember being brainwashed into getting a desire chip not even knowing what that was didn't know what it was they're like you want one i'm like all righty (laughs) And everybody was talking about this big book, and I was convinced that was the Bible, and I didn't like that at all. And um, I don't remember what the topic was. I remember the women were so kind to me and hugged me, and I felt incredibly welcome. And I got that newcomer packet, which I proceeded not to use. Right. (laughs) I didn't call anyone. Right. And... um, I kept asking people how I, how did I go home and not take a drink? And nobody would answer that question. They said, keep on coming back. Come back tomorrow. We want you to come back tomorrow. Right. And don't drink (laughs) in between then and now. Right. Or whatever. Now and then. (laughs) (laughs) And and so um, I didn't. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was really weird. Yeah. So, and so, so let's talk a little bit about your. Uh, I'm always curious about, and I've talked about this on other uh, episodes that we've had before. The difference between atheism and agnosticism. To me, I was more of an agnostic just because it required much less work. You don't have to think about it very much. You don't have to argue your way out of anything. So, were you were you truly a uh, like, did did you proclaim yourself as an atheist before you actually got to the rooms? Oh yeah. Okay, and then and then when, and when people would say, and I'm sure you were, did anyone ever try to save you or of anything course. like? that? Okay, so when people would try to save you, would you just? I'd argue up? with them. Are you? Oh, so you'd argue? Okay, so you? Because you know you can change people's minds. <laughs> <laughs> so. But my favorite thing was to sit from afar in judgment of others. You yeah. know. Right. So, so you would, uh, uh, so you would kind of uh, argue with. Do you remember a day like where you kind of uh, 
said, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be an yeah, atheist. I do. I was about six or seven years old. Really? Yes. And maybe I, maybe eight or nine. Really? Uh-huh. And, well, that's very interesting. That's very young to yes. decide something like that. Was there something that precipitated that? or? Yes. Um, you know, my mother was the daughter of a preacher, okay. of a Presbyterian minister. Okay. She grew up in the church. Um, he baptized me. I don't remember him. He died of cancer when I was very young. And so I grew up going to church and learning. And I am... My mother had Bible study at our house, and I had some of her friends that were adults tell me things. And I had these ideas about God. What do you mean they would tell you things? Like, like, like God's always watching you. Got you. Got you. Yeah, right. You better be a good girl. <laughs> right. God's always watching you. Right. And um, I had ideas about God that mm. these people I felt like had told me. I look back on it now, and I think that was my perception of what they said. Right. And I thought that God could hear inside my head, and I thought that if I did certain things that a lightning bolt was going to come down, right, because right? I'm, I'm a kid, right. lightning bolt was going to come down and get me. Mm-hmm. And, or I would pray for things and it would happen. Mm-hmm. And so I remember distinctly um, two things. One, that I would think bad words, like right. hell. Right. And nothing would happen. I didn't get hit by lightning. And I'm like, well, this is baloney. There is no God. Nothing happened. Here I am. Yeah. And then the second thing is, is that I would ask God for things that I wanted. When I was young, my mother would cut my hair super duper short and people thought I was a boy. And so I would pray to God for long hair. And I would wake up and my hair would still be short. Oh. And I'd be like, well, there's no such thing as God. Right. These people are all wrong. Right. And I actually was kind of mad that they were kind of roping me in yeah. to this stuff. Yeah. Wow. And I mean... And so... And, and that, that was kind of it for me. And so at that point you decided... Yeah. I'm an atheist. And so growing up as an atheist as a child... I mean, you know, it's different when you're an adult, right? I mean, you know, you go to college, a lot of people become atheists and stuff like that. But as a child... What was it? I mean, were you, did you pronounce yourself? No. Okay. I I didn't even realize I had that moment until later on in the program. And I, we worked the steps to uncover these things. That's how I found, figured it out. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, there's so much, right, to talk about. I, there's your history, you know, uh, getting to AA. So, but, but I am interested. I'm very interested in, uh, so you're a, a an atheist for all these years, right? And then you get to AA, and like you said, you see the G word on the walls. Yeah. And so, how did you how did you work? I mean, obviously, part of it is the steps, but were there any particular milestones along the way that you can point back to and go, "This is where my perception of God changed," and this is what I think nowadays. Talk to me about that. I, I had. Um probably an experience early on that probably, I don't know if it made me believe in God, but it, you know, we'd talk about having the door open just to crack. The willingness to, to maybe believe in a God. Mm-hmm. The door is open to crack. Um, I was having horrible cravings, and my sponsor at the time, um, I would call her and say, I, I just want to drink. I'm losing my mind. And how long were you, like, w- did this go on for a month, six months, a year? This was about the first week. Okay, the first week. Okay. Yeah, maybe the first week or two. Okay, so you're having I these... was white-knuckling it. I was so in withdrawal and angry and, you know, irritable, restless discontent, like, times ten. Right. Does your family remember that time as well, very um, well, or do you remember... I don't know if they really noticed a difference, because right. <laughs> I think that's who I was in a blackout. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I was just that all the time. Okay, so you're white-knuckling it. And so I call my sponsor, and she's like, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and get on your knees and ask God to remove the cravings. I'm like, well, that's going to stink. Like, who cares? That's not going to work. <laughs> right. We got an issue here. I don't believe in God. Uh, uh, don't you know how I feel? Like, I'm going to explode if I don't drink some wine here. It's going to be all over. And and then there was this whole issue of, of 
But what if someone sees me praying? This is just like, I can't get down on my knees and pray. What if somebody sees me? She goes, said, just go in your closet. I was a closet. I drank in the closet and I started praying in the closet too. So I did it. And, um, and you know, it wasn't, it was sincere that I wanted the cravings to go away, but I was praying to something I didn't believe in. And the, I was okay. I managed not to drink. How were the when you were you having physical withdrawals? I was. It? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that withdrawal from alcohol could kill you. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how close I was to needing probably medical detox. I didn't have delirium tremens or anything mm-hmm. like that, but ooh, the sweating. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. So all right. So you're so now you're open. By the way, do are you? That time that you came in to that that meeting, that newcomer meeting at night at seven thirty, is that your sobriety it date? It is. Did you, okay. It's my sobriety date. It That's was October twelfth. That's great. Um, and so now you're 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 kind of going through the, the the withdrawals and such. And so so my question was earlier, what what helped to change your relationship, if you will? with God, higher power, whatever you want to call them. Um, uh, that was one of the instances. Yes. Ha- what about working through the steps and, you know, just little iterations here and there? Anything else come to mind? Uh, I think that my sponsor told me to fake it until I made it. Mm-hmm. And so I was just so desperate not to drink again that... I just kind of didn't think about it. Yeah. I just didn't think about it. I didn't want to poke my house of cards. Right. Because what if they fell over? And so when you would go to meetings, though, when you would hear somebody talk about God over the next months, uh, maybe I'd after leave. you... Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, or, or don't say Jesus. Uh, <laughs> don't say that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> so, would you actually physically get up and yeah, leave? Yeah, sometimes I would. Yeah. And so it would make you that uncomfortable. Yes. But yes, if they were would. talking about it in a general way, which happens a bit, did you ever kind of turn the corner on something? I like think that? That, that Bill's so sneaky, the language he uses. It's designed for people just like me. Yeah. He uses all these different words for God mm-hmm. that I could handle. Like, spirit of the universe. I was down with spirit of the universe. That sounded kind of trippy. I could do that one. Higher power? Eh, it didn't have to be God, your higher power. Yeah. And, and you know, the people in the program who were sober and happy, they were my higher power. Oh, oh that's very interesting. So you would look to other people. Yeah, other people. And say... There's a member of our group who really... Yeah. So you Several would, members of our group, actually. Right. That were my higher power for a while. My sponsor, not yeah. the first sponsor, but my second sponsor was definitely a higher power for me. So when did you start working through the steps? So like, this is like, you know, you're staying a couple, three weeks, right? You're getting through that. You know, even though I was this everyday blackout drunk, right? The craving for alcohol was removed from me so quickly. And I didn't have a whole lot of gratitude about that. You'd think that I would immediately jump into the steps and want to jump in the boat. <laughs> but the truth is, I don't want to be in AA. I didn't want to be in AA. When I saw people in AA who'd been sober for 30 years and they said, I come here every day, I think, well, that poor man. <laughs> that poor, poor man. What is wrong with him? Why is he here? Get on with it. Get better. Get on with it. <laughs> it didn't quite add up. Uh-uh. I'm like, oh, dude, I got stuff to do. <laughs> I got a family. I got I lots stuff going on. Here. <laughs> All right, so... So, okay, so, and getting up to the steps then. Tell me about the steps and your your kind of first swim through that. Well, that's how I ended up with two sponsors. The first swim through the steps was, you know, one, two, three. Easy enough, right? I can fake my way through one, two, and three. I, I mean, obviously, I think one, you can't fake, right? I knew I was powerless. The unmanageability, I wasn't sure about it, but I knew 
that I was powerless over alcohol. I'd known that, I'd felt that, I'd experienced that for mm-hmm. the last five years. You know, the book talks about how we try to manage our drinking. You know, we drink on Friday. We don't drink on Friday. We do. <laughs> I had done all of that. Right. <laughs> I knew about powerlessness. I just hadn't had that vocabulary when I, when I was out there. Um, two <laughs> and three. <laughs> Not good. I did them though. When it came to four, I just couldn't understand why writing down your resentments was going to make you not drink. And at first, I thought that sounded like really good stuff because I had a ton of resentments. I loved it. Yeah, you know? anger. Right, anger. I love that stuff, <laughs> especially when I quit drinking. Anger became my new drug of choice. And um, I distinctly remember sitting down at the kitchen table to do my fourth step thinking, no big deal. Mm-hmm. And then I would look up and I would be in the laundry room doing the laundry. And I'd be like, wait, I'm not supposed to be here. And I would go and I'd sit back down at the kitchen table and and, and start writing. And then all of a sudden I was doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. I could not bring myself to do it. Right. And what, I mean, looking back now... Do you have any idea what that what that block may have been? Well, I just felt like I had obviously been stuffing and didn't want to look at all the all the skeletons in my closet, all the garbage in my truck. Gotcha. And and uh, you know when we talk about dishonesty in the program, for me, the dishonesty has always been about me being dishonest with myself. I'll do so. Yeah, that's yeah. been the biggest one for me. Right. And. Um, I just quit calling my sponsor. Well, at first I called her and I said, I don't know why you're forcing me to do this. Don't you know that I'm going to have to drink over this four-step step? <laughs> that didn't faze her. <laughs> she didn't like tell me, oh, well, don't do it then. <laughs> Not that's, that I one. was really hoping that threat would work. You know, it didn't. So I gradually drifted away from the first one. And she was a good Alan on her, so that's the last I heard from her. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to hook up with another sponsor to actually get through the four step. Yeah. It's, it took me 18 months to work the stuff. Oh, 18 months. Yeah. Was that to just do the four step? No, or just to, to get through all to of them. To get through all of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So how long did it take to get through that four step? Do you remember? I mean, were you able Well, to... I switched sponsors. That took me about eight weeks. Okay. And... Um, so you were kind of riding solo for a while? Uh, yeah. And you... there was another member of our group and who isn't there any longer. He's moved somewhere. Who would be like, so, who's your new sponsor? And he would just ride my case. <laughs> ride my case. And we'd go out to eat at um, Schlotzky's. And he's like, so, who's the new one? <laughs> who's the prospects? <laughs> and he, I really credit him with probably saving me from a relapse. Yeah. He's like, well, pick one out. Pick one out. And I did. I picked out my current sponsor, yeah. Jennifer E. Yeah. And he's like, oh, she's a good one. Yeah. Go talk to her. Did you talk to her? And so eventually he like, encouraged me to go and do that and then um she made me start over i'm like what over (laughs) wasn't that like bad enough the first time one two and three was bad just don't make me do that again oh yeah we did it again yeah and she was pregnant and she had a difficult pregnancy and so it took her she was very lenient with me and she let me get through it at my own pace gotcha so so, and, you know, usually I, I, I'm all out of step here chronologically, but did you, are you from Texas? Did I you am. Grow up I, I, well, I was born in California. Oh, okay. And then I have spent a great deal of my life uh, was uh, spent growing up in Spring, Texas, which is Outside of Houston, Houston right? area. Yeah. yeah. But I've lived in Africa. I've lived in Hampshire. Really? Yes. How, how, what was the second one? Hampshire? New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So, and what were you doing? How did you get to Africa? It was with my father's job. I lived there when I was 13. Okay. It was a fabulous experience. Gotcha. Yeah. In New Hampshire. I love New Hampshire. I, it was cold. <laughs> it is cold like, compared really, to Texas really and cold. Africa. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. The fall. Man, it's, it's the coldest place I've ever lived. <laughs> like, I grew up in Houston, moved to Africa, and then my parents took me to New Hampshire and immediately signed me up for skiing. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not your thing, no. huh? Think you're gonna be you're gonna stay in Texas for the rest of your life? I love Texas. Most likely, yeah. You're a Texas girl. Pretty much. Um All right, so uh oh the one thing I really wanted to ask you about too. This badass bitches thing. 
so I'm sitting in a meeting one day, and uh, uh, Jenny was either next to me or a couple seats down. I can't even remember. But she picked up her purse, and I could hear this like rattling, right? And the rattling, I, I, it was. I could see something was hanging off of her purse, and I forget how how, I, how the conversation went. But she showed it to me, and what does what does it say on there? B A B or something? Bo bad. Bo bad. And and I said, and then you you either explained or I asked. Yeah. I can't remember, but explain to the listeners. What, That's just the acronym for band of badass bitches. Band of badass <laughs> bitches. <laughs> and so tell everybody what the band of badass bitches is. Well, it. My sponsor is an active member of AA, yes. and so she sponsors a lot of women. Her husband's also in the program, and he's like, girl, you got you a band of badass bitches. <laughs> a bunch of badass bitches. You're like a witch's coven. <laughs> and so it's the name has stuck. Really? Yeah. And so, but you have, I mean, it's just not that the name stuck. You have... You have uh, shirts. And sh- shirts. What is that thing that I saw in your purse? It was a little tag, which I have since lost, which is oh. such a bummer. Oh. But yeah. So y'all made up tags and shirts. Yes. It went <laughs> like stationery. <laughs> stationery. <laughs> <laughs> and you distribute these like yeah how do- Christmas presents to the. It's all my sobriety sisters. Okay, gotcha. And you know, it's fun to feel like you belong. Yes, of course it is. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna. I'm thinking about you know. I sponsor some guys, and maybe we could be the the band of badass bastards or something <laughs> like that. We we could start our uh, our male version of. Them. I want to get like a you know fifty style jackets, like the pink ladies in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd uh, be great. Yeah. All right. Well. This has been great. Anything else you... Oh, you know what? I wanted you to read something from the big book. I am so sorry. I forgot. I got right into talking about atheism and and, and all that sort of stuff that I didn't let you read that. So I know you have something that you wanted to read. Or yes. I asked you to bring something over. This is one of my favorite uh, pages. Yeah. Passages the from the book. Yep, from so the just book. for those listening at home, this is from the big book, Alcoholics it's, Anonymous. What page is this, Jenny? It's chapter three, more about alcoholism, page... 30, 30. I believe, right? Yeah, page 30. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently may be, has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control. But such intervals, usually brief, were invariably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. Nice. Um, I want you to talk about that a little bit, but I do want to say this is something that is always kind of weirded me out is some of the grammar in this particular passage i've never heard somebody say the delusion like that we are like other people or presently maybe i've just never heard anybody talk like that in my life but nonetheless the grammar in the book is kind of strange so talk to me though a little bit about why that means something to you uh what you take out of it um how you apply it to your life and well um I'm, I'm one of the people that the big book talks about that um, was too intelligent for religion. Yeah. You know, it talks about the non-believers that are too smart. Mm-hmm. And we agnostics tries to, like, change our minds. 
And um, we intelligent people. <laughs> <laughs> and when I came into the program, I was so terrified of people. I had shrunk my life down so small mm. that I spent the majority of my time by myself. Mm. And I was terrified of other people. And just coming into the rooms and sitting in a meeting with 80 people, I would go home and just have like the gym jams. Like the what? The gym jams. I'd have like a total emotional hangover. I, I would freak out. I've never heard that term, <laughs> gym jams. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like, it would just go over and over and over in my mind. And, mm. and so. One of the ways... And what was going over and over and over in your mind? What was, did I say? What did they say? What right. were they thinking about me? Gotcha. Oh, my God. You right. know, just couldn't handle it. And so the big book, I really experienced the program through the big book. The mm-hmm. big book is what convinced me that I was an alcoholic more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and that was alarming. <laughs> Here was a book written... 70 years ago in this beautiful language that we no longer really use today. Mm. And they're, they're, you know, singing softly to me, telling my story. (laughs) 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 And um, it, it was like they'd opened my head up and pulled me out and knew exactly what was written on me. And it was not something I could argue with. And it this just spoke to me it's what convinced me that i was an alcoholic more no. than anything else right was the big book nicely said yeah i love that um i had ser- a very similar experience and i can relate to that all right jenny this has been absolutely fantastic i appreciate your time is there anything else you want to add before we uh, sign off? Or are you? Good? I'm not an atheist anymore. You're not an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> well, so just what would you describe yourself as now? I, I describe myself as spiritual and leaning towards Buddhism. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Spiritual leaning toward Buddhism. I like that. All right, so this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming over. It's been I my know. Pleasure. I know you're a little bit. Uh, anxious about it on the front end you were up front about that and i appreciate it but once you uh, i this has been this is podcast gold miss jenny so you did fantastic thank you for being here and uh, we'll talk soon thanks john Hey, everybody. I sure did enjoy Jenny's uh, story. I hope you did as well. Uh, this is John M. here just to kind of close out the program. And I, you know, this is a... Um, this podcast has been uh, uh, an incredible uh, experience for me in many ways, which I'm not going to go into right now. Maybe I'll explain all the different ways it has affected me in a, uh, an upcoming podcast. But one of the things I've been kind of uh, playing with or being creative about here is uh, I've thought about adding some, I guess what you would call personal notes here toward the end of these podcasts, maybe at the beginning in the future. I don't know. I'm just trying to be a little bit uh, creative with this here. And I thought about naming this like, uh, I don't know, something like uh, uh, Deep Thoughts by John M. (laughs) I don't know if you ever heard the uh, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. Uh, on the Saturday Night Live episodes, but uh, it's tongue-in-cheek. and uh, But I, I think I'm going to add some things here on the end of it to where I uh, just kind of share my thoughts about what may have uh, uh, caught my fancy during the week, what may have uh, affected me in the world of recovery and, and how I apply recovery to my life. And so the first one I'm going to do here is I, I just happened to be at a meeting uh, this morning, and uh, the uh, the leader or the, the the chairperson for the meeting her name was uh, Jennifer or probably still is unless she's died between now and the time when I saw her earlier today um, Jennifer led a meeting and uh, uh, she read from the big book and uh, I'm gonna read a little bit of it right now uh, which really stood out to me it's on page 99 uh, working with others it says um, let no alcoholic say he cannot recover unless he has his family back this just isn't so. In some cases, the wife will never come back for one reason or another. Remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon other people. It is dependent upon his relationship with God. 
And so, you know, that really made me thinking about both my situation and many people that I've talked to throughout the years of thinking they come in and think, in essence, I need to have the wife back or the husband back uh, or I need to get the job right. I need to get the perfect job and then I'll be able to get sober well. In this passage right here, and anyone who's been around for any length of time will concur that it is not dependent upon his relationship. Oh, excuse me. It is, remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is not dependent upon people. It is dependent upon his relationship with God. We have seen men get well, and whose fa- we have seen men get well whose family have not returned at all. We have seen others slip when the family comes back too soon. So, if you've had any sort of experience in that arena, uh, I would love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to reach out to us at feedback at soberspeak.com. Uh, or you could just go directly to the website, SoberSpeak.com, and click on the Contact Us tab. Uh, eventually here, I plan to have a uh, some sort of voice mechanism uh, installed in the website. And what that means is you'll be able to go and, and leave a voice message right through the website itself. So um, to keep that in mind, just a couple of program notes here real quick. Uh, we are now, SoberSpeak is now on Spotify and I've been told also that it is on iHeartRadio. And so uh, you can go to those two venues, either Spotify or iHeartRadio. By the way, when you type out iHeartRadio, is there an actual little heart symbol on the keyboard? Uh, just kind of wondering out loud here. I don't think there is. I guess you just type the words heart. Uh, I'm sure they have some issues with that in marketing. But you know what I'm talking about. iHeart or I Love Radio, I guess is what it is. We are now there as long as Spotify. So I want to go ahead uh, real quickly and say uh, we welcome your thoughts and feedback. I've already talked about that a little bit. Uh, let us know how you're listening. Uh, are you are you uh, listening to us through uh, what sort of platform? I, I, I'm always curious as to what people are doing actually when they are listening to the podcast like are you washing dishes are you driving your car now if you're driving your car don't be texting us right now or emailing us right uh you want to make sure you're in a safe place but are you mowing the lawn uh are you feeding your kids uh what are you doing and the other thing is i'd be real curious uh, i know there are people i see that people are listening to us in a uh, 28 to 30 different countries right now. I'd be curious as to how you're finding us. Uh, and if you have any feedback for any of these speakers that we bring in, uh, please do let me know. Um, I'm so appreciative of them. I say speakers, the people that we have in, in here for an interview, just the, the participants uh, who come in and sit at this chair and uh, share uh, their experience, strength, and hope with us. I'm just so grateful for them. If there's anything you want me to pass along to them any way they have uh, affected you at all once again feedback at soberspeak.com that'll do us for this week once again i'm going to read from the big book page 164 abandon yourself to god as you understand god admit your faults to him and to your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past give freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will meet and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny may god bless you and keep you until then once again thanks for tuning in bye-bye